In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with James Thomas about selling on Amazon. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 69. This episode of the Business of E-Commerce is sponsored by Drip. Drip is the world's first e-commerce CRM, and it's a CRM I personally use here in the Business of E-Commerce. Now, if you're ever in an e-commerce store, you need to give Drip a try, and here's why. They have both one-click integrations with Shopify and Magento, so it's super easy to get started and integrate with. Once you're there, they have all the segmentation, email personalization, and revenue dashboards that you need to give you an overview of how your emails are doing, how your campaigns are performing. But what really sets Drip aside is their visual workflow builder. It allows you to drag and drop different rules and build these workflows on how you want your emails to perform, decisions. It's super powerful. And it lets you get started quickly and build basic rules at first. And then over time, you can get more and more complex. So it's something not other automation tools allow you to jump in there fast and then also get more complexity over time with all that power underneath the hood. So if you want to see why other e-commerce store owners are getting from Drip, from other AFPs like MailChimp, Drip is offering an exclusive deal for our business of e-commerce listeners. They normally have a 15-day trial, but if you sign up with the following URL, they're actually going to give a 60-day trial. So definitely check that out. Just go to drip.com slash BOE. That's drip.com slash BOE, and you can check them out. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Bolesky, and I'm here today with James Thomas. James is a partner at Buy Box Experts, a managed service agency supporting brands selling online. I have James on the show today to talk about how you can succeed selling on Amazon. So hey, James, how are you doing today? Thanks for having me on today, Charles. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So for, first, before we get started, Buybox Experts, you guys are an agency helping, is it manufacturers, retailers, kind of, what do you guys do primarily? Mm-hmm. So we are today a company that works primarily with brands that are struggling to figure out how to build and implement an Amazon strategy. We used to work with resellers, uh, but we changed the model a few years back and now we're primarily with brands. That being said, um, I also work with resellers through our educational conference, Prosper Show, uh, working with lots and lots of resellers who are struggling to find the best way to become profitable and remain profitable on the Amazon channel as third-party sellers. Okay, so both either direct brands, brand selling their own products or some sort of white labeled version, and then resellers being, you know, complete, just selling other folks' products, running their own Amazon store. Right, and in the midst of all this, there are typically private label sellers that will do a little bit of reselling, or sometimes it's the brand trying to figure out how to build its own direct to consumer brand uh, through through its own, you know, separate Amazon channel private label. So we, we've got we've got all these different types of business models. Um, that we end up touching in one way or another. And of course, you know, there are challenges with each one of those models. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I I want to ask kind of which, is there one of those that you see being a more successful route on Amazon or is it something that they could all be successful if done correctly? So I'm, I'm not one to tell somebody that their business model is not going to work. I recognize that there are people that understand how to do, for example, retail arbitrage and do that very, very well. And there are companies that know how to identify other people's brands and negotiate good arrangements with those brands so that they can be the resellers. 
There are companies that do private label brands that actually know how to launch products very, very well on Amazon. That being said, there are lots that try to make their own brands and have absolutely no idea how to do it well. So the reality is all these models can work. The challenge is you have to recognize you need different skills and different processes to be able to make each of the models work. Some of the models are a whole lot easier to scale. For example, if you build a private label brand and you understand how to do good research and you understand how to do product sourcing in a really good way, then your ability to take a product that's zero dollars and make it a million, two million, five million, and so on over time, uh, th there's a path to that. If you want to do, for example, retail arbitrage, goodness me, you know, you pretty quickly run out of hours in the day to go find product. But I'm not going to tell you it's a bad model. It's just it's it's going to be more challenging uh, to be able to scale. And so one one of the things I like to think about, Charles, with companies that are on Amazon or thinking about getting on Amazon. Is, is, is asking the question, what do you want to ultimately do with this business? Are you trying to become the next $100 million seller? Are you trying to create a lifestyle business? Are you trying to create some side income? What are you trying to do? Because based on the answer to that question, it'll help define which of these business models ultimately make more sense for somebody to pursue. Gotcha. Yeah. It's funny. I talked to some, um, I used to think reasonable arbitrage wasn't almost wasn't real. Like I kind of didn't like believe in it. Like it was a, a fictional thing for a long time. And I finally talked to some people who legitimate and really kind of had some numbers behind it. And I am shocked. I'm shocked. It actually even works. Like I'm still baffled. I'm still baffled. And now I believe that it's real and I'm just shocked that it is real. So that's one of those things. So let's say you're a brand and you want to start selling on Amazon. Um, you're selling right now direct through your own channels. You have maybe your own site, you know, that sort of thing, but you want to say, okay, let's, let's give this a try. Um, right. Because Amazon it's, it is that place where there is a captive audience and you can, like you said, scale very quickly. Would it, before you even decide to give it a try, would you have some considerations yes. of saying, Hey, you know, you don't even want to do this unless X, like what should you consider before even deciding to move that? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. So, uh, there's a there's at least two or three key issues that any brand needs to think about b before they start the Amazon journey. The first question, and it seems kind of like a silly question, but are you a real brand? Do you have a registered trademark? If you don't have a U.S. registered trademark, the reality is when you get on Amazon, Amazon's not going to give you any brand rights. And your ability to do what's necessary to get proper listing optimization and control the content, it's going to be very difficult to do that. So if you really are a brand and you really do have a U.S. registered trademark and there's no funny business with, oh, we changed our brand name or, you know, the paperwork's not quite buttoned down, until it's all buttoned down, don't even think about getting serious with the Amazon channel. Assuming you have a U.S. registered trademark and you're, you, in fact, are thinking that, yes, your product can be sold either to consumers or potentially to business-to-business -business clients, now there's a bunch of other questions you can ask yourself. The, the next question I would ask is, what kind of margins do you have available to invest in building traffic? Just because you get on Amazon doesn't mean anybody's going to see you. This if-you-build-it-and-they-will-come model does not work on Amazon. The model that works is... I need to find ways to drive traffic to my listing on Amazon for anybody to ever see it and pay attention to it. And so even if your product is very successful outside of Amazon, in brick and mortar channels or potentially on your own website, that's not going to transfer very easily to Amazon. There's over 500 million products already on Amazon that are already getting you know, the attention of the Amazon customer. 
You come along as the 500 millionth and first product, nobody cares except for you. And so if you want somebody else to care about it, you've got to have margin available to do advertising. Today, most brands on Amazon are spending those advertising dollars within Amazon on the Amazon advertising platform. Now, you may also have a large Facebook following or you may have email lists or some other mechanism by which you can drive traffic to, to your listings. But unless those things are in place, it's totally normal to expect the 30, 40 percent of your retail dollars are going to go back into Amazon advertising, at least for the first three to six months while you build up traffic. For a lot of brands, they don't have 30 to 40 percent of their retail dollars available to put back into advertising. And so that journey of let's get on Amazon, start selling and making a bunch of money, it can take a while to get to the point where you're actually making money. Yeah, you'll sell some units, but you're going to reinvest everything back into the business to keep building the business. And so all of this boils down to, do you have the margin? And are you willing to set realistic expectations about how long it's going to take before you're A, selling a lot of units, and B, actually making money on the units you're selling? So for companies that are looking to make a bunch of money in less than six months with products that really aren't that differentiated from a bunch of other companies who have similar products, this is a wake-up call. And the reality is you're not going to meet those expectations. So you've got to think long-term. You've got to think about how do you build a good infrastructure with high-quality listings, the right kind of traffic, and so on on Amazon to build your business. And then we can start talking about, okay, Let's jump into the deep end on this Amazon channel. Okay. A few things I want to dig into there. I was taking some notes while you're talking. Um, so first, sure. for, folks sure. that, for folks that don't know, having a registered brand on Amazon, what what rights do that does that give you above and beyond like being brand being actually brand registered? So, so in some ways, they're sort of synonymous. You can't get brand registered on Amazon unless you have a U.S. registered trademark and you have the paperwork. Uh, you could also have a Canadian trademark, you could have a Mexican trademark, but you've got to have actual legal documentation that shows you've got a trademark. Uh, one of the challenges that some manufacturers who decide to go into Amazon run into is they may have a trademark for their company, but they don't have a trademark for the consumer brand names that they're using or, or vice versa. Or you know, some companies will say, we want to go into Amazon and we want to sell, but we don't want our existing retailers to know that we're there. So we're going to operate under some other brand name. Okay, well, do you have a trademark for that brand name? All that is to say, if you have the, the paperwork that allows you to go to brand registry, which is the free program Amazon offers to brands to demonstrate that they are the authoritative uh, owner of the brand, that that will allow the brand to be able to contribute content into the Amazon catalog and lock it down so that other companies can't come along and change it around. Gotcha. So then you own, so you are then, you own that page. That is yours. You're the only one that can control that as long as your brand registered. You, you own the ability to lock down the content, meaning other people can still sell on your listing. So if, if you were the brand and you decide to sell and I happen to be able to have a way to get access to your product, I could still sell your product, oh, okay. but I wouldn't be able to decide what the, what the, I can't decide what the title, the bullet points, the product description. I can't decide what that looks like if you're properly taking advantage of the brand registry access that you've been given as a U.S. registered trademark brand. Oh, so others can still, so even if you're brand registered, oh, others yes. can still, okay, so Oh, yes. I thought that is there something else you can do to this is going down. This is just my own question now. But is there something you can do to actually protect your listing 
so that you're the only one that can sell on that listing. Is that another level or is that just not something you can do? So I think what you're asking me is, can you gate your brand so you're the only seller of your brand? Correct. Um, while there have, while the press has talked about a couple of cases where a form of of brand gating has been applied by Amazon, for all intents and purposes, the 99.99% of the rest of us, we can't get our brands gated. And so what that means is, uh, you're going in as a brand into brand registry specifically for the purpose of controlling how your brand is shown to consumers. You are not using that tool for the purpose of controlling who actually has the right to and, and is able to sell the product on Amazon. Okay, so I guess the I guess the stories, and I think we've kind of all heard them before, right? Where if somebody else starts selling a product um, under a certain listing, that's a story where yes. you have not given them permission to actually sell your product. They just they're almost they're selling like their own product that looks similar-ish under your listing. And that's the thing that's not okay, right? But if they're actually, if you've given permission to sell your product, then they can sell it on Amazon. So let, let me tease apart because there's a few issues here. Amazon is an open marketplace where anybody showing up with product can sell a product. There's a few minor restrictions, but basically anybody that shows up with product can sell it. So if I get a birthday gift from my grandmother and I don't want it, I can turn around, open up a, an Amazon account and I can start selling that product. Now, granted, I have one birthday gift unit. I don't have a truckload of it. But you know, if I happen to have a truckload of your product that I got through some clearance or discount or uh, secondary channel, and I decided to put it up on Amazon and start selling it, that's my business and you can't do anything about it. So, so that's issue number one. If someone comes along and decides to squat on your brand, that is to say, they choose to apply the, your brand name to their product, when in fact, you don't make you know, the red version of your product, you only make the blue version, and they're selling the red version under your brand name, that's called counterfeiting. That's called using someone else's brand name and, and trying to represent your product as, as being that brand. That's not allowed. And so you as the brand owner, having gone down the brand registry path, one of the things you can do through the brand registry platform is if you experience or you see other people using your brand name in ways that violate the trademark, such as selling counterfeit or trying to misrepresent your brand, those are things that you can go back to Amazon to get very quickly policed. But the process of saying, hey, you're unauthorized to sell my brand, I don't want you selling on Amazon, that's not something that Amazon's getting, getting to get involved with. In fact, Amazon will send you a standard response that says, your distribution arrangements are your problem, they're not our problem. So if you have an issue with, you know, James selling your product, then you need to coordinate with James to figure out how to get James to stop selling that product. And by the way, by the way, in the United States, there's a whole bunch of case law that says it's called first sale doctrine case law, where I, I have the right to resell your product, even if you don't want me to. And so even though you don't like that I'm selling your product and probably selling your product at a price lower than what you want me to be selling it, there's nothing you can do about it in, in the standard arrangement that most brands have with, with retailers and distributors. Okay, I see. So it's the counterfeiting that's the the big the thing you can stop. But if they just, like you said, if, you, if I go to the uh, supermarket and buy some Cheerios, I can sell them on Amazon. I'm not, you know, they can't stop me. And I can sell them at, you know, a dollar a box at a loss, but that's my, that's my right. Yeah. And what, what's really, really infuriating for a lot of brands is n not just do not, not just are there unauthorized sellers selling their product, but a lot of those sellers 
do not have rational pricing. They haven't worked out the unit economics of their product, and they're actually selling at a loss, leaving the brand scratching its head saying, how is this possible? Not only do they have my product and they're selling it, but they're not making any money. Why are they bothering to do this? Well, you know, I, I hate to say it, but not everybody is logical and, and no, nobody's, not everybody's worked through the actual numbers to figure out where the money's made. I've worked with far too many sellers who take the approach, you know, I have 100 products in my catalog. I'm going to throw all 100 of them onto Amazon. I'm going to see what happens after selling all 100 of them. Oh, look, at the end of the month, I made some money. The question I, I mean, the path that I would prefer to take is, what, are, what is the unit economics of every single one of those SKUs you're selling? If you're losing money selling some of those SKUs, why are you selling them? If you didn't sell them, you'd end up making more money. Well, it turns out a lot of companies, not just small sellers, but even really big sellers, don't do the proper analysis to figure out what are all the fees you pay Amazon? What are all your return-related costs? What are all your shipping costs? And so on and so forth. And if they net, net, net it all out, they discover, oops, I sold this product at a loss. And in fact, the only one that made money here was Amazon. Amazon's not going to tell you, hey, man, thanks for the money, but you didn't make any. You know, that's not the model. Yeah, because those fees too, a lot of it, you know a certain, you know a few things at a time, right? Like what commissions they're going to take, like selling mm -hmm. in that particular um, yep. section, that sort of thing. But the yep. end of the day, the actual invoicing, you don't know until well after the sale is made. So you need to basically try it. And then, like you said, kind of look and piece back all your, you know, net out everything and then really look at that, the unit economics after everything's done almost. Cause it, it, or is there an easier way to kind of figure it out forward? Um, Cause it seems pretty difficult to do it. Mm -hmm. So we need to split apart a couple different use cases. If you're wholesaling product to Amazon, so they, they are buying product wholesale from you and then they're turning around and they are the seller of record. In that model, and that's, you'll that's Amazon you'll, Vendor Central, correct? Vendor Central okay. slash first party. Yep. yep. So in, the, in that model, Amazon negotiates a rate with you, what they're going to pay for each SKU, and they also negotiate an allowance on that purchase. Meaning, uh, you know, I'm going to buy your product for fifty dollars. I'm going to resell it for a hundred, but I'm also going to charge you for shipping, for marketing, for returns, and so on and so forth. And that amount can be a, a little bit flexible depending on uh, what experience Amazon actually has with this pallet of product. And so for companies that sell first party, it's not until after they in fact reconcile all the numbers and get paid by Amazon that they figure out exactly how many dollars they got paid per unit. Okay. But you have a, a you have an idea going into it at least though. You have, you have a range, but you don't know you, the you, exact dollar value. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Now as a third party seller, you know what the commission rate is for the products being sold in the category that your products belong to. You know what the shipping costs are if you're using the Fulfillment by Amazon program. You, you can see what the inbound shipping costs are into Amazon. All that stuff you can see. And obviously, you know your COGS, so that's not a problem. Where things become tricky is you don't know what the return rate's going to be on your products. You don't know of the products that are returned what the write-off rate is going to be on those products. How many of those products that are returned are basically ready to be thrown in the trash versus can be spiffed up a bit and put back up for sale either as new or use like new type products. The, the other issue that a lot of companies that use third party completely overlook is overhead. You have to turn the lights on at your office. You need to spend money potentially you know, sourcing product, going, going on trips to talk with manufacturers. You need to do product development. You need to do all that kind of good stuff. 
okay, so how are those costs being allocated back to the individual unit sales that you're doing on Amazon? For a lot of brands that spend uh, most of their time selling exclusively on Amazon, there is an owner who has to turn on the heat. There is an owner who has to get you know, uh, registration for their company. All those things cost money, and yet that, alloc that, that overhead doesn't necessarily get properly allocated. And so what they discover is, and, and I mean, the model that I like to use is figure out what all that, that fixed cost is and then allocate it to the number of units that you've sold in the last six months or the last year or what have you. And then you'll say, oh, gosh, look, I'm spending about $2 for every unit that I sell. There's about $2 a cost I need to allocate just to cover the fact that I exist as a business. If you don't include that $2, and again, this is just an example, $2 is just a number, but if I don't include that $2 into my overall cost structure, it may well be a case where there's not enough margin on some of my products to be able to cover its fair share of overhead. And so now we've got a situation where I have a bunch of products and not every one of them actually makes me money. So again, this exercise of how do you allocate all of your Amazon costs, all of your internal costs, all of your return related costs, you've got to factor all that into your business so that you can think through, does it make sense for me to sell every single one of these products? For a manufacturer that makes that, that shift to, hey, we want to sell our catalog on Amazon, the, the mindset is often, hey, let's take everything we have and throw it against the wall and see what sticks. Okay, well, the part about does it stick has to include careful unit economics analysis to make sure, are we actually making money on every one of these SKUs? Because even if something sticks and customers say, we love your product, Amazon customers are buying it in big numbers, yeah, but if you're losing money because the return rates are high or the handling rates are high, or lo and behold, you didn't actually apply the right COGS data, why are you selling it? You would be better ahead if you didn't exist selling that product. So, you know, it seems kind of obvious, and, and yet because companies are often focused on lots of other things, they don't take the time to break down the numbers as carefully as they need to within their Amazon business. Every single one of your SKUs needs its own P&L. Every single one of your SKUs has different competitive situation. It possibly has different levels of unauthorized seller activity, and certainly it has different return rates. You've got to track that information and update that information over time to know whether it's even going to be worthwhile to continue selling on Amazon. Yeah, I did this a long time, a while ago now, and I remember at the time, and probably young at the time, kind of threw, a stuff, threw some stuff up against the wall, saw what stuck. Yep. Yep. But the one actually that I figured out stuck, it was the most bizarre, like a small accessory, something you would have never thought, but for some reason it just did very well and it wasn't very competitive. And it just kept doubling down on that one thing um, and sold it and sold a ton. And then just literally at some point, kind of the same thing realized, like I'm actually losing money on all these other listings. And this this one is the thing floating this entire um, thing and just kind of doubled down on that one. So it's until you really dig into the numbers, it's not obvious. Because like you said, at the end of the day, you kind of see the bank count. And if it's going up, you think good. But what you don't see is it could go up more if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't have all, all the, the dogs in there, right? You kind of cut those out, cut your losses on those, and then double down on the winners. For brands that come onto Amazon who don't have a lot of traffic they can bring with them to Amazon, that is to say they're having to build traffic by way of investing in organic search or, or paid advertising on Amazon, it's absolutely critical to understand the Amazon customer is not the same customer as the customer is buying your products in other channels. Yeah. And so while something might be your hero product over here, 
putting on an Amazon, who knows? There might be five or six other companies selling basically the same types of products and have well established the market for for those products. Don't assume that your entry is all of a sudden going to reflect in the same 20% market share that you've experienced everywhere else. And so for, for, for brands that get too uh, emotionally connected to the products they sell, as well as for retailers that get too emotionally connected to the products they sell, it's a different marketplace on Amazon. You're basically starting from scratch. And you need to have a separate set of numbers and metrics and reports that you look at to give you insight into, should we keep doing this by SKU on the Amazon channel? What you just said there, actually, um, one of the points I want to dig into, if they can't bring traffic with them. So let's say you're selling your, own, your brand, you're selling your own individual site right now. Folks are coming there. You have an email list, Facebook, everything's kind of rocking there. Yep. Yep. You're... So I guess first, this assumption, I'm assuming you're making less margin selling on the Amazon marketplace than you do selling direct. And if that's true, then why would you want to take your existing users and pump them into Amazon? You're basically taking users that yep. you would be getting a better margin on and hand them off to a lower margin platform. So if, if you are in a situation where you believe you have fully capitalized on all available customers in the world, or at least in the US that are interested in your product, then there's probably no reason for you to be on Amazon, except for the fact that, congratulations, you have 20,000 customers on your own website. There are 200 million customers on Amazon that you could go after. So yes, you may cannibalize a little bit of your business, but I can assure you the world is much, much bigger than the number of customers you happen to have on your own Shopify or big commerce site. And so going after all of those other customers that are on Amazon that may be looking for comparable product that's what we call incremental market opportunity. Some of your customers who buy on your on your shopping cart on your own website today, some of them may say, you know what, we kind of prefer the Amazon experience. So future products, we're just going to buy those from Amazon instead of from your site. Okay, that's fine. But what about the you know 200 million minus 20,000 customers that are still on Amazon that might be looking for your product? And so if you can go after those those people. That becomes potentially interesting. How about if your product is so particular? How about if your product is so niche that maybe? Okay. So if it's super niche and you only really have those twenty thousand people, then that will be the only case where this might not make sense, right? But if it's something, if there are more than, if there really are more folks in that in the U.S., then that's the opportunity, right? So I'm going to give you a ridiculous example. I'm going to sell you a pair of shoes, and they're both left foot shoes. And you know, <laughs> there's somebody that wants two left foot shoes. It's an amazing product for just that segment of customer. While you may have gone out there and you may have advertised to the world that you sell a pair of left, left foot shoes to, and people can buy them, some people will have seen that because you, you, you bought some Google ads and sure enough, you, know, you, you managed to surface high enough in Google ads that when somebody searched for two left foot shoes in a box, there, there was your company. The, the problem is, for almost every product, even the eccentric and esoteric products out there, all it takes is one single skew on Amazon by some other competitor, and Amazon's now bidding on those same keywords. And so you're now competing against Amazon and the whatever the product listing is that Amazon has in its catalog. You're competing against Amazon for, for, those, for Google placement. The other thing to keep in mind here is while Google Google Ads is one way to get some decent traffic, more than 55% of all product search in the United States online today, 
starts on Amazon. So for that 45% that didn't start on Amazon, they may have seen your Google ad. But what about the 55% of people who never went to Google, who started on Amazon and looked for, you know, two left foot shoes in a box, they didn't see your product. They may have not seen anybody else's product because nobody else sells that product. But if they found at least one other competitor's product in that esoteric category, your product was irrelevant to the consideration set, didn't exist in their mind because they went to Amazon to see and discover what's out there. They didn't go to Google. They went to Amazon. So it, it's, it's challenging for brands to say, yes, I may give up some margin on the incremental units I sell on Amazon, but the reality is there's more customers than you'll ever have on your website already on the Amazon channel. Hopefully, they're also some of, enough of them are looking for the types of products you sell that the, the, you'll, you'll end up with a net incremental margin and net incremental sales coming out of the combined effort between your own website and Amazon. That's a great point. Is there a margin that's, I'm trying to phrase this the correct way. When you look at your, when you know your own margins, is there a certain range that would be too low below the acceptable range to say, this isn't worth doing, or is it something you could always optimize your way out of? Like, when is it, when are you getting a little too close? Let's talk about the early stages of your products on Amazon. And let's talk about, you know, more mature stages when you're, when you're on Amazon. I mentioned earlier, you know, your first three to six months you're on Amazon, you're going to be spending a lot of money just to drive uh, traffic to your products on Amazon, typically done through Amazon advertising. And so let's let's just work through some numbers. Let's say your product retails for $100, your COGS is, is $32. By the time you pay Amazon selling fees, FBA fees, inbound shipping fees, I mean, you're, you know, let's say that's another... 15 plus five plus two, you know, that's another $22 of cost on top of your 32 for COGS. You're going to spend probably another $30 on advertising, at least during those first three months. Well, I'm, I'm doing the math here. 32 plus 22 plus 30. Mm. We still haven't factored in returns and write downs. It's getting it's getting pretty close here. Yeah. Now, granted, we're, we're talking that 30% on advertising. We're talking about that over the first three to six months. That is hardly a long-term play. In fact, what we we like to typically do is after a brand has built up some some decent indexing of sales rank on Amazon, a brand will probably end up spending somewhere between eight and 12% of retail dollars in reinvesting it back into advertising. So that's that's a long way down from 30. Um, and that's, on, I, I, that's I, ongoing, you think? Like they'll spend that indefinitely? That's, on, that's, that's ongoing. And it does two things. It, it makes sure that you continue to surface on uh, paid, paid placement on Amazon. So some of that stuff that's above the fold when consumers search for generic keywords. But the other thing to keep in mind with advertising and the investments you make there, Amazon rewards products that invest in advertising in the long run. And they, invest, they reward them specifically by giving them higher and higher organic search results. And so what, we, what typically happens is if you put, let's say, 8 to 10% of your dollars into advertising each month on your particular SKUs, what you'll see is not only will your overall market, excuse me, your overall uh, revenue grow over time, but the proportion of that revenue that comes from organic search sales versus pay-per-click sales, the organic portion will grow over time, which means you've used paid advertising 
to drive organic-driven sales. Yes, you've, you've also used paid advertising to drive paid sales. The, the absolute dollar amounts grow, but the proportion of your total sales that come from paid should get smaller over time because the organic portion gets bigger and bigger as Amazon rewards you for this ongoing investment of advertising. Never, never realized there was a system like that where you, they talk. Like I thought organic and paid were these two separate worlds and they didn't, like they didn't know about each other. Oh, no, 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 not at all. In fact, th this, this raises a very interesting question for companies getting started with advertising on Amazon. Amazon has this metric called ACOS, the average cost of sale. And it basically says, okay, how many dollars did you spend on advertising and how many dollars of sales were generated directly from that advertising? So if I spent $10 on advertising and I got $30 of sales from that $10 of advertising, then 10 divided by 30 or you know, 0.33, that's my ACOS. So 33% is my ACOS. 33% is pretty high as a very as a long-term number. Well, ACOS I would argue is not the right metric to be using. And yet that's the metric Amazon puts in front of sellers all the time when they're trying to optimize their advertising. I would argue that in the long run, you need to look at what we call ROAS, so the return on advertising. And, and, and that basically says, let's look at the total dollars of advertising spent and let's look at our total sales on Amazon, not just the pay-per-click driven sales, but also the organic driven sales. So if I spent $10 on advertising, got $30 of, of sales from that $10 of advertising, how many dollars did I also get from organic search, meaning sales that didn't come specifically through, through paid advertising? So if I got another $20 of advertising, excuse me, another $20 of sales at the same time as the $30 from, from, from the, uh, um, from the advertising-driven driven sales, so it's 10 divided by 30 plus 20, so 10 divided by 50. Well, that 10 divided by 50, that ratio, that ROAS, as long as that remains consistent or starts to decrease over time, at some point, you should continue to invest as much as you possibly can in advertising if your organic search sales are continuing to grow as a proportion of your total sales. I can find ways for you to spend half a million dollars a month on advertising if it means you're going to get millions of dollars of organic search-driven sales. And so for, for brands that are starting off new on Amazon, a lot of them take the mentality, okay, I only have this many dollars to spend on advertising. Okay, you know, in that first few months when you're investing to build traffic on your listing, that totally makes sense. But as you start to build up sales and you start to get to a point where you have a decent volume of sales every month, are you still in growth mode? Are you in maintenance mode? What are you trying to do with this Amazon channel? For many brands, unfortunately, they get to a point where they're saying, okay, if we could only sell 1,000 units a month, then we're happy. All right, so you got to 1,000 units a month, now what? Well, we're going to turn off our advertising. Okay, well, what's going to happen is, obviously, your pay-per-click driven sales are going to go to nothing, but your organic search sales are also, the, the, the total, the absolute amount is also going to start to drop because you're not being rewarded in organic search for the fact that you had advertising in the first place because the advertising has now gone away. So it's strange to be in a situation where you, you, know, you, put, you put your foot on the pedal for advertising and that actually helps drive not just advertising but also organic search. So I like to see brands ask the question, what does it cost us to continue to grow on Amazon? How much money or what proportion of our sales are we willing to reinvest 
to keep growing. If you wanted that thousand units of sales a month, because in your mind that's you know that's success, okay. But I would say to you, well, how many units are out there for you to go get? What if I said to you there was a hundred thousand units available if you were willing to continue to invest in building your brand? Well, you should be investing more and more advertising every month as your total sales grow every month. As long as that proportion of dollars you reinvest and total sales revenue you generate, as long as that doesn't get out of whack where you're continuing to overinvest in advertising, you should just keep spending money on advertising and keep building this. How do you think a brand gets to the point that they are selling 100,000 units a month? They didn't go from zero to 100,000. They had to build up over time. They did that because they continued to drive more and more traffic to the listings, and that got them in a place where the flywheel that was being driven by advertising helped both advertising-driven sales and their organic search ranking that made their product more visible to consumers who didn't look at the ads. Yeah, it's a good way of saying that. I feel like it's one of those things where initially you're kind of in search for that, what's that one thing that works? Like how can we, where can we spend our dollars on something mm -hmm. that's going to be profitable? But once you find mm -hmm. that, just yep. go. Like just go until it's not profitable anymore, basically. You follow that path and don't try to deviate, don't try to pull back. Just as long as it's profitable, keep moving forward. And that's one of those tips that I think people try to, they, they find some, as soon as they find something, they try to find something better. And it's not, don't, don't look somewhere else. Just go further down this path. And going down further down the path means continuing to invest, yes. continuing to, to put your foot on the pedal. And it may mean that you're putting more and more of your advertising dollars into the one product winner you have. Yep. And that's okay. But every time you decide to launch a new product, Remember that it's it needs its own flywheel, and you need to feed that flywheel. And at some point, some of those products, you may say, you know what? They're stinker. They're not going to work on Amazon. There isn't enough total demand on Amazon, or the competition is so vicious that I can't outspend the competitors to get share voice, so I'm going to step away from that. But if you do have a product that's a winner, keep going and track that ROAS, which is total sales, or excuse me, total advertising dollars divided by total sales, not just advertising driven sales, but total sales and track that every week, every month. And, and as long as that remains either constant or starts to drop a little bit over time, that's a good situation. If you get to the point where you're getting diminishing returns on extra investment you make in advertising, yeah, you know, at some point you may want to pull back a little bit on the advertising and say, we think we've got to a stable state on this product. Now let's take our advertising, extra advertising dollars and potentially invest in building up some other product. Awesome. Yeah, totally agree. That's, uh, I think the, the flywheel concept, I think is the, the, the visual too. One, just try to grow the flywheel and bigger, bigger until it kind of maxes out. And at some point it will, but until it does keep stepping, keep your foot on the gas. So awesome. Yeah. And it has to be a fly, it has to be a flywheel by skew. It's not a yes. flywheel for your Amazon business. It's a flywheel by skew. That's a good different. Yes. That's a very good point too, where each one, I like what you said, each skew is almost its own little business in itself because it's going to have its own its own numbers, its own margin, its own competitors. And the competition on skew A versus B, they're totally different. They and they have nothing to do with one another. And just because you won, just because you won in your big commerce to Shopify with skew one, doesn't mean you just does it. There could be much fiercer competitor on Amazon that you can't see, and you're not going to win there. So you need to go to something else, and that's going to be your winner there. So that's a great point. All right. Awesome. Yep. I feel like I could talk to you about this all day, but I know you have to, uh, I know you have a hard stop coming up here. So if people kind of want to find more about you, kind of learn more about what you do, what can they do? So go to buyboxexperts.com. 
which is our site for the brands we work with. And then for resellers, uh, we, we run Prosper Show, which is prospershow.com, which is the largest continuing education conference for companies selling on Amazon today in the U.S. Uh, either one of those, uh, I get the messaging, and I'm certainly happy to answer questions. Awesome. I will link to all that in the show notes. Thank you very much for uh, coming on today. It was great chatting with you. Thanks for having me, Charles.